This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com if you're a loser tune in and you'll be a winner it's the moranalytics podcast talking buffalo sports yankees wwe 80s music and pop culture and now here's your host patrick moran All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What is up? Welcome to episode 153 of the Moranalytics podcast presented today by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Today is Tuesday, September 17, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading this podcast. If you have not yet subscribe to this future award-winning podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. And let's start here right off the bat, okay? I am starting to think that the Buffalo Bills may never lose a football game again. Undefeated in the preseason, 4-0, which is cute, but now they're also 2-0 in the regular season, a perfect 6-0 so far in 2019. 6-0, by the way, since friend of this podcast, Eric Wood, stepped into the Buffalo Bills radio booth. I always suspected all along that the big problem with the Bills has never been ownership. It's never been talent. It's never been coaching. I've always suspected that Mark Kelso being the Bills color guy for radios always been the problem. Now it's been confirmed. They're undefeated with Eric Wood in the booth. So hopefully they sign Eric Wood to a very, very long-term contract. Seriously, though, okay, a a big win in New Jersey, not New York, in New Jersey against the New York Giants Sunday by a pair of touchdowns. The first time, by the way, in the history of the Buffalo Bills franchise that they have started 2-0 on the season with both wins coming on the road. They are handling their business early on. They're beating teams that they're supposed to beat, at least teams that people in Buffalo, the fans in the media in Buffalo, think that they're supposed to be, if nothing else. So that's been great. I'm going to be joined momentarily by recurring guest Aaron Quinn from Cover One. We're going to put a bow on the Bills' latest win, kind of deep dive a little bit into some of the more important aspects of the Bills after two games right now. Take a look at the big picture as things stand. Glance around the rest of the league, stuff like that. And I'll tell you, yes, it's early. It's very early. 
I know, and if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you probably know this better than any sports fan base around any, I don't even want to say the NFL around sports, period, to not get ahead of ourselves. Okay, it's only been two games. But you got to say this much, okay? It's hard not to look and take notice. Things are starting to align really, really, really nice for Buffalo right now. Again, early on, but you go to Pittsburgh, they're 0-2. Their quarterback, Big Ben, he's done for the year. That's big news there. You got the Chargers. And I'm going, by the way, I'm not counting New England in Kansas City because they're winning their division. So I'm not going to spend any time talking about them. I'm talking about some of the other teams that ultimately I think Buffalo might be competing with to make it as a wild card right now. And yes, 2-0 and or not, I'm not ready to say the Bills are serious, legitimate contenders to overtake New England in the AFC East. Beat them in week four at home, which, hey, I, I guess you never know. Which, by the way, if they beat Cincinnati, they're going to be 3-0 going into that game against New England, who almost certainly will be 3-0 as well. So that's going to be a huge game in two weeks. But again, don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But you can't not notice Pittsburgh at 0-2. You got the Chargers, who on Sunday, they lose to Detroit. So who knows what's going on with the Chargers right now. The Houston Texans hardly look unbeatable. They should have lost to Jacksonville, or at least at the very least, that game should have went to overtime. Jacksonville's probably shot for the season two. You got the Tennessee Titans, who look like world beaters opening week. They go to Cleveland. They lay the smackdown on the Browns, and they come back home, and they lose against Indy. You got Denver's already at 0-2. The Raiders are a disaster. Cincinnati, who the Bills play this coming Sunday at New Air Field, they're a disaster. They're 0-2, so got a lot to feel about. Good right now, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, that's for sure. Again, early on, but it's better to be ahead than to be behind the eight ball after two weeks. So I really like the way things are going. A few quick notes, by the way, before we get going with today's episode on Friday's show, I'm scheduled to have Melissa Jacobs, a.k.a. the football girl who has one of the more popular blogs out there and also one of the more popular podcasts out there. We'll have a nice in-depth interview with her. Also on Friday, I'm going to have my buddy Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. He's on the show regularly. I'll have him on for a segment as well. Going to talk some Buffalo Sabres. Hasn't been a lot of things to talk about with the Sabres because it's been that dead time of year, but camp started now. And in fact, they got a couple of preseason games going on this week. So we'll definitely have stuff to discuss there. One last thing too, by the way, and uh, then we'll get going. I just binge watched. If you listen to this podcast regularly or you follow me on Twitter, this is nothing new. But I did it again, man. I I did. I I can't help myself. I binge-watched The Office yet again. Well, all right. I don't want to lie to anybody out there. I want to be completely honest here. I actually binge-watched in its entirety the first seven seasons. I skipped season eight. And I skipped most of season nine before finishing up by watching the last couple of episodes, which I thought were fantastic and really helped The Office finish strong. and. Got me thinking about a handful of months ago or so, I was on this podcast talking about and flirting with the idea of having some segments on this show dedicated to the office. Some talk about specific characters or episodes or seasons, power rankings, things like that. I mean, it's no secret to me, the office is the greatest TV show of all time. And I don't even think it's close. And I know I got a lot of sports media buddies out there, a lot of athletes who kind of feel the same way. And I'm going to start getting them on to get their takes on these segments that I do. And I'm really going to start to step up those efforts. I, I want to do it. I wanted to do it for a while. And I think watching it yet again, really pushed me over to finish line. And it's going to get me going on that project. 
It, it seems like on my Twitter, when I tweet about the office or just talking in general about it, when I talk about it, people are, they're interested in it. And I know there's some Facebook group, groups out there that I belong to. I discuss podcast stuff with some of them and they seem very receptive. So I'm definitely going to get that going for sure soon. I'm going to commit to doing not every week, but at least a, a semi-recurring segment. I don't know if it'll be an entire podcast. Maybe it'll be a half a podcast where I have an interview or a topic with somebody. And then the second part is something about the office. We'll see how that goes, but I'm really looking forward to doing that. Oh, and oh yeah. One other thing too, nothing to do with this podcast. It's unrelated, I guess, but did you see that Jenna Fisher and Angela Kingsley, of course, better known as Pam Beasley and, and Angela Martin from the office are starting their own weekly podcast. It begins on looking up the date here, October 15th. It's about the office and it's going to be on Westwood one. I am literally excited to tune into that. It's going to be great. And again, stay here for details on more stuff from the office coming up on this podcast. Anyway, that's in the future. Let's get back to today. It's all about the picks in today, more specifically the Buffalo bills. Here is my conversation with Aaron Quinn from cover one following the Buffalo bills. Very, very, very promising. 2-0 start. Let's do it. All right. I am joined right now by recurring guest Aaron Quinn from Cover One. It's been a few since I had you on the pod, man. Not that long, no. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Dude, man, it hasn't been that long, but it's a whole different world we're living in today, man. It's a a Bills, undefeated Buffalo Bills team. I don't know that either one of us, last time we talked, thought we'd be here the next time we talked. Well. I'll tell you this, 2-0, and and we're obviously going to talk plenty about the game. I half agree because, in theory, I don't think it's too surprising that the Bills are 2-0 and right now because they're playing, they played the Jets and they played the Giants, two teams who are not very good, especially the Giants anyway. Yeah. Didn't expect much from them. But still, at the end of the day, your young team, not so much a young team, but you got a lot of young players. You got a very young quarterback on the road to start the season. I don't care who you're playing. It's never easy to win in the NFL on the road. And to do it twice with a quarterback in his first full year as a starter, that's what kind of impresses me the most right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the teams they played, I I said it on Twitter a bunch before those games, that they should win both those games. But going on the road two times in a row, like you said, young quarterback who – uh, a lot of people said couldn't be a really good NFL quarterback, didn't come out and vomit all over himself for the first two games. And the defense picked up right where they left off. I thought uh, really impressive. I know there are teams that you should win and you expect them to win, but it's the Bills, man. They never win the games I expect them to win. So uh, I, I still didn't feel comfortable even in the third, fourth quarters of those. Games. Obviously, the Jets game was right down to the end. Uh, but even, you know, as dominant as they were at part of this Giants game, I still had that uncomfortable feeling of, being kicked in the balls by this team for the last 20 years uh, that no game is ever comfortable. No lead is ever comfortable. So to walk out of those with victories, man, Bill's mafia is feeling great. I I can get the vibe on Twitter and uh, you know, I'm texting with friends and stuff and just people are saying the same thing to me. You know, even the most casual fans just saying, you know, something feels different about this team. And and we can talk about that as we go. Well, we'll talk about the game in a few, but I want to pick up right where you just left off when you said something feels different because Something does feel different for me for many years now, many, many years. And I'm sure you too. And most Bills fans were trained mentally to expect the worst in crunch time of games, whether it's the third quarter, the fourth quarter, wherever that critical stretch may be. It's usually the Bills that are finding a way to lose. 
Yeah. It, it feels like, oh God, I, I hate to use the word so early in this conversation of culture. It just feels like something is really different right now with this team for the first time. And I don't even know how many long, and that's not to say, listen, maybe they go six and 10 this year. I don't know. But right now, this is my feeling at this moment as we're taping this podcast right now. I don't feel like in the second half, they're going to find a way to lose. I feel like they're going to find a way to win right now. And again, I know they're not playing the best competition. So I'm going to put that out there. I'm not naive to the fact that they're playing the Jets and the Giants and that they're not playing the Cowboys on the road and they're not playing the Patriots on the road. I know there's a big difference right there, but I've always felt like we're going to blow this game somehow, some way. The refs are going to screw us. Something weird is going to happen. We're self-inflicted, whatever. I'm not feeling like that right now. I'm feeling pretty confident, in fact, that when we get that lead in the fourth quarter that we're going to keep it. Yeah. Well, first of all, Joe, if Joe listens to this podcast, his head's going to explode that we're starting off this conversation talking about culture. Uh, <laughs> so he, he's probably going to throw his bone at the wall or something. But no, I think you are actually right here. And yes, we should beat these teams. Um, and, and that sounds great to say. But traditionally, the Bills don't win those types of games, uh, uh, games they should beat a team uh, because that's what real playoff teams, real playoff contenders do is they beat the teams that they should. And even though the Jets game was sloppy and you could argue that, uh, I mean, geez, an extra point goes the Jets way. And that's a totally different game. The Bills put themselves in a position after playing maybe some of the worst football that we could have seen to start it. Right. Uh, traditionally, you lose that game to to turn it around, keep composure in that game with a young quarterback uh, and a lot of young key pieces, keep the composure and come back and win that game. I do think it shows culture. And I think people laugh it off about, you know, some of the process stuff that they talk about and all the coach speak that McDermott talks about. But one thing I don't think that anybody's going to be able to do uh, to this team is get them rattled in the sense of their preparation is probably right up there with some of the top teams in the league. I'm not going to say they're on the level of, some, you know, the perennial uh, big time players, but this team is going to come into a game prepared. They're going to have a game plan and they're going to stick to that game plan. And usually in the NFL, if you can do that and be more prepared than the opponent, you're going to usually come out on top uh, in those situations. And they pride themselves on that. You can see the players pride themselves on that. Uh, and there is a culture building in here. And I think they feel like it's us against the world. I think some of that stuff matters. There's a bit of a chip on their shoulder. We saw, you know, they kind of downplayed it in the media. But we saw the comments about Josh Allen were posted all over the TVs at one Bills drive about how he wasn't, a, you know, he was just barely a starting quarterback by Shermer's uh, estimation in the draft process. And they downplayed that throughout the media all week. But you know that the team rallied around that. And it's a group of guys that wants to play for each other. And you've played sports uh, and your kid plays sports. You know um there's a different level when you have something that is driving you a little bit extra to play and rally around your teammates. It just gives you that little extra edge. And I think that we're seeing that. And I do think they're building something special. Is that a Super Bowl run special? No, I don't think so. But I think it's a special, hey, let's make a run for the playoffs with a team nobody expected to. I agree with that. And before I'll tell you what, before we get to the Giants game, I kind of want to circle back to the Jets game because I didn't have you on last week. You're cover one guy, and I got to bring this up, man. You guys, collectively, not just you, obviously you, Greg, Eric. It's mostly you, not me. It's mostly everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I'm, and I'm, I'm plugging you, but I'm not plugging you because I'm, I'm just stating the truth here, man. You guys are a content machine, just pumping out shit. We were talking about this before we started taping. Last week, I, I don't remember if it was maybe Friday or Saturday of, of this past weekend just now. Uh, I saw on Twitter, um, I, I can't remember if it was Eric or maybe Nate Gary retweeted it. But anyway, it was Josh Allen 
breakdown of the first game against the Jets with both Nate and Eric breaking down film, especially Eric. And it was, it's like 56 minutes long, which for me is like an eternity. And I put it on and to be completely honest with you, Aaron, I only intended on watching a minute or two of it. I just wanted to see the production value of it, which by the way, was absolutely outstanding. And, you know, I've seen the production and how, how it sounds and everything and how the flow was. Cause I like to, to do that for sometimes for the purpose of my own podcast. Well, long story short, here's my point. Things 56 minutes long. I intend on listening to maybe 30 to 60 seconds. I probably listened to 45 minutes of that. I, I think I missed like the last maybe seven, eight minutes of it. God damn. Those guys do an outstanding job. And I'm not just yeah. saying this because you're on right now and because you are a representative of cover one, but for people out there listening, listen, I love the athletic. Okay. I make no bones about that. I'm a big fan of the Buffalo news guys too. I know not, that's not always the most popular opinion, but it's true. I love the Buffalo news. Buffalo Rumblings does a great job. Lockdown, there's a lot of really good Buffalo Bills podcasts out there. But cover one, man, it, to me, this is like next level shit that I'm hearing. I don't see this or hear this anywhere else besides what's going on at cover one. And that one video is just one example of many that are out there. Yeah, they. it's actually my favorite content uh, that anyone does in the season. I'm not even saying that. Just It's really one of the reasons I started working with Eric uh, now three years ago. I had to reach out to him. I said, dude, how can I be part? You know, we've talked about it. How can right. I be part of what you're doing? And it's because of content like that. And it's only grown, uh, like you said, the production quality. Eric's gotten really good at producing these videos. And, and you know, uh, when the showing the play and showing the routes, just the production quality of that, it looks like something that you'd be watching on a, a regular network television show. Uh, he's done a great job of that. And it, there's so much work that goes into building that one hour of video from what Eric does to break down every single play. Uh, you know, it, it takes, and we talk about it a lot in our premium Slack channel when guys are talking about giving out grades or whatever for the game. And we, you know, we're like, really? They're giving out grades? Like, how how are they watching the game? Because when Eric goes through and watches these plays, he's watching six, seven, eight times the same play. And then if he sees a concept, he's unsure of, he goes and researches the concept uh, and, and where did Dable learn this concept and where's this concept been run before and trying to figure out what the assignments are for the player. So it's super in depth. He spends hours, countless hours on this stuff. Uh, and it shows, I think in the end result, uh, it shows that he knows his stuff. He cares about the work and trust me, I'd love to give every opportunity to roast Nate Geary, but he kills it too. His commentary, on that he comes in and I know people want to roast him for uh, his experience playing quarterback in college, but he did actually play quarterback in college and he has that experience. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, You're right. It, but, you know, even if he was a backup or whatever it is, you have that experience and you know what it takes to watch the film. Uh, he's got a great voice for radio. He's a, he's a professional. And I think he adds another element to that with Eric's, you know, just film crushing ability. And it's it's honestly I could talk about it for the entire segment here. Um, but it's my favorite content. And if you haven't checked it out yet, it, that content doesn't really age like a lot of the content right now. We were talking pre-show pre here. A lot of the content's three, four days, and then we're on to the next game. That stuff really is good for the whole year because you're really watching Josh Allen progress, and they're going to keep doing it. Uh, Eric's getting ready to, to whip up another Josh Allen video. So it's really interesting. You'll learn a lot about the game of football. Even if you're not a Bills fan, you'll just learn about football. But if you are a Bills fan, I mean, our entire future rests on Josh Allen's progression. So take an hour, watch it. Uh, it's good stuff. And and they don't really hold back. You know, if Josh Allen's doing the right thing, they're going to tell you and, and, and highlight that. Well, I'll tell you this, man. And uh, anybody who asks me, I tell them this all the time. And this is with complete respect to all the Buffalo Bills media members out there, because 
I'm big fans of most of them. There's so many guys who do great work, but I've been saying it forever now. Joe B to me is the best guy out there just because he's so well-rounded. But when everyone, anyone who asks me, Eric Turner is the most underrated guy in the Buffalo sports media. It's not a household name like someone like Joe B and Tim Graham and Sal Capaccio and all these guys are, but his work really is. It's second to none, man. I, I really do. I'm a, I'm such a big fan of his. I really am. Yeah, we we appreciate that, man. And you've, you've always been a supporter right from the get-go. And, you know, we don't – it's hard because it, it's a cover one brand and not everyone knows Eric. And obviously Greg and I are on the podcast every week, so people kind of hear of us. But when we went to training camp this year, it was pretty cool – uh, having done this now for a couple of years, people were coming up and saying, Hey, you guys are all the cover one guys. Like we love the work and to, to see the fans actually appreciate it. You get the likes on Twitter and you get the views and the listens, uh, but to see actual people and they say, Hey man, we love your content. We learned a lot. That's super cool. And we were talking how tough the grind of producing content can be. Yeah. Uh, it, the fans really do, at least on our end, really keep us going. Our premium slack guys, knowing that they're expecting the content and want the content it really it does a lot to keep us kind of pushing that out. It's a grind. And we talked about it this time of year. It's hard because there's just so much content out there and there's so many podcasts out there. I feel sometimes I get a little fatigued and burned out to be completely honest with you listening to, because I try to listen to as many Buffalo Bills podcasts as I possibly can as time permits me. And then putting two of these together, it could be a real grind. And you don't have a lot of turnaround time. And we just talked about this too. This podcast comes out. First thing Tuesday morning, we're going to be talking about the Giants game by maybe Thursday or even Wednesday night, Thursday morning at the latest. It's old news at that point. Everybody's yeah. going to be on the Cincinnati if they're not already. So, yeah, absolutely. and I think it's hats off to really all the people because I'm crushing podcasts all day. You know, I'm a stay at home dad, so I'm listening to as much Bill's content as I can get. And then, like you said, on, on top of listening and doing your own podcast, it is a lot of work. And I got a hats off to pretty much all the content creators that aren't getting paid full time to do it. I mean, hats off to the guys that get paid full time to do it, not taking anything away from them. But the people like us, you know, at least I know from my own personal experience, like shout out to my wife for always allowing me the time to do these podcasts and, and work on this stuff and all those guys, because we're not doing it for the money. We're not doing it for the fame. We're doing it because we like the process. We like talking about our team or whatever the topic is of the evening. Um, and, and so it's it's a really passionate hobby. And I, I, I think that fans should love that because we're not getting paid to do it. We're not in it for the wrong reasons or anything like that. It's it's not a full-time job for us. So it's really fueled by passion and, and the fans uh, driving the content. Well, I could tell you this much. It could be worse, okay? We could be doing worse things in the world, and it could be we could be talking about a loss right now. We're not doing that. We're talking about another victory, which, I mean, listen, the way that game started, man, what a, the defense couldn't come out and sleepwalk any more than they did. They come out of the locker room like they were still sleeping. The Giants take the ball. They go five plays, 75 yards. Barkley has 55 yards on four carries. Looked like the dude was going to run for 300 on us in the in the first half. That's how yeah. bad the defense looked, man. And by the way, and the scary part is this comes after the week before against Le'Veon Bell. They only allowed 68 yards on the ground for the entire game. You had to feel pretty early on. Again, second straight road game, playing against arguably the best running back in the NFL already. Had the makings of being a very long day early on. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, it wasn't fun. It was not a fun way to start the game. Uh, they did come out flat. I, I wasn't sure why uh, they, they seem so flat. McDermott talked about it a little bit, though, in his press. When you play a team on their home opener, man, they're jacked. Sure. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to come out with a little something extra. They had a lot to prove uh, to their fan base. And Barkley is an elite player. I mean, he is one of, you know, people talk about running backs not matter, but then you have to put the asterisk there and say, well, except for Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, he's a guy that can break it at any point. Think about the Giants, though, when I watch them, I watch them. Maybe I watch every opponent. I watch the condensed game twice and I'll I'll go through the all 22 film uh, leading up for our pregame show on Wednesdays. And when I watch the Giants and I watch them against the Cowboys, who I think I think the Cowboys are a legitimate contender uh, in the NFC, especially with Breeze out. I I think people got to watch out for them. But uh, they came out with a really good game script to start that game. And they put it to the Cowboys early uh, starting. And they did the same thing to us. And I don't know if, you know, some of these OCs and coaches can script really well. And then when it comes off the script. It's just things aren't going as well. They just aren't able to adjust to what the defense is doing. And, you know, kind of to go back to the conversation we were having a little earlier here about culture uh, and that this team feels different. One of the things that is the most different to me, and we've kind of seen the evolution of this defense is I think Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott have done a really good job figuring out how to adjust in game. And that's something we haven't seen with Bill's teams. I remember years of watching teams adjust against us and not just doing the same damn thing for four quarters and have not having that ability to adjust. These guys have figured out how to adjust in game and get their players to adjust with them. We, we didn't really see it year one. They got run all over a few times. That one month in November was one of the worst months of football I've ever seen uh, in our playoff year. Last year, we saw a little bit of the power struggle with McDermott and Frazier of who was going to run the defense. We saw when adjustments need to be made. We saw at one point McDermott calling plays himself. Uh, I think they finally figured it out. I think that is one of the things I think uh, that makes me feel really good about this team as they go into later football throughout the year is the coaches all trust each other. And I think they're able to make the right adjustments and they have guys uh, on the field that can help the younger players make those adjustments. I think that's what we saw against the Giants because really after that, they locked it down and Saquon was really pushed into the middle of the field. He wasn't able to bounce anything out. They really stayed, uh, you know, a lot of the gap integrity that coaches talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think that all comes down to adjustments on the sidelines, man. And I think that's a big part of the difference that we're feeling of this team. Barkley ended up having 14 more carries for only 52 yards over the last three quarters. So they definitely did a job on him. After that first opening drive, we'll talk about the defense more in a few. Let's talk about Josh Allen for a minute. We've waited Hmm. long enough on it. Okay. I think right now the best compliment I'm going to give this guy is that nothing seems to really rattle him. So they have a three and out start after the Giants score. The Bills get the ball back and um, they score on a 10 play, 75 yard drive. And this was after, how did it play out? I can't, you know what? I think actually the Bills got stopped once, then they got the ball back. And they went 10 plays, 75 yards. And Josh Allen scored on a run. Which, by the way, here's a fun stat that I got from the Bills PR department. Allen's just the third quarterback since 1950 to run for 10 touchdowns in his first 13 career starts. Joining Cam Newton and Johnny Lujak. Which, by the way, I had to look that dude up. Yeah, I never heard that name. (laughs) Hey, he played. I guess he played for Chicago in the late 40s. And, uh... Yeah, he's 94 years old right now. I think he's still alive. I don't even know. I'm trying to look it up right now. Yeah, so point being is neither of us ever heard of him. And he actually is still alive right now at 94 years old. Bless his soul. But anyway. Learn something new every day, man. Exactly. So 10 plays, 75 yards. Again, this is after the Giants came down, ran the ball down our throat. And then uh, on that drive, and this is the thing about that drive that I loved. He hit McKenzie, if I don't know if you remember this, on a 26-yard pass. 
it looks good in the stat sheet, but in reality, it was an absolutely horrible pass. McKenzie was wide open, and it should have been an easy touchdown. But again, I'm starting. Here's the point: young quarterbacks, they make a bad play like that. It can get. It's kind of like being a golfer. Sometimes you one bad swing, and you get these bad swing thoughts in your head. And one mistake leads to two, and two to three, and three to four, stuff like that. I'm starting to feel like Josh Allen, the kid, he just doesn't get rattled. And I'm really impressed with his composure. And you kind of talked about this just a minute ago. I think that's a very underrated, important aspect of being a good quarterback. It's not just the numbers and not just the physical ability. It's the mental capacity to make a mistake and not let it turn into three or four mistakes. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And honestly, since he walked out on the field this preseason uh, from the start of the preseason, when he walked out, there was a different I'm probably too old to use the word, but there was a different swagger about Josh Allen uh, and his command of the huddle and his command of the team and his, you know, reading the defense, calling out uh, coverage, calling out the coverage, calling out the pass protections. It looks different. Uh, Go back. I even did it. I went back and watched last year and he just looks more comfortable and confident. That made me say, "Okay, maybe we're ready to take a step. Let's see what he does in the regular season. You came out and you saw it and we saw it in the Jets game, you know, go back to the Jets game and. I mean, gosh, talking about uh, opportunity to totally unravel four turnovers in the first half. And he still is able to come back and make some big time throws and get your team back in the game to win it. And he even had the he had the balls to go into the defensive huddle and say, get me the ball back. I'm going to win this game after turning the ball over four times. That is the confidence of a a starting QB one type of guy. And it's showing I I think the play you brought up is a great example. He missed pretty bad. Uh, He had smoked uh, John Brown wide open on a deep pass. He missed him by about five yards. Next play, he comes out and hits, you know, a beautiful pass. He doesn't let that linger. It doesn't snowball into something bigger uh, than it has to be. And another thing we're seeing this year, man, uh, for instance, uh, actually, Eric tweeted out the adjusted completion percentage through the first two weeks per PFF. Josh Allen's at sixth right now in the NFL at 82.8%. Adjusted completion percentage, for those that don't know, is they take away uh, dropped passes and like throwaways and stuff like that. So, but he's throwing the ball away. You see him, you know, there was a couple of times where he's running out of the pocket. He's making those athletic moves. And I do want him to stop doing that because they can hit you a little harder uh, when you're doing that. And he has taken some shots, but he's gotten the ball away and he's throwing the ball away instead of trying to throw it into double, triple coverage um, and make a play that's not there. You see him being more comfortable throwing the ball away. And those steps, man, we talked about it ad nauseum. Throughout the offseason, there's so many shows about Josh Allen and what he needed to do to take the next step. And he's really checking all the boxes of what I needed to see from him progressing and kind of exceeding my own expectations. And it granted, it's two weeks and we haven't played the best teams in the league. Um, but I think his floor is a lot higher than draft Twitter community will ever admit. And a lot of the national uh, analysts wanted to admit his floor is much higher than we thought. I agree. And you mentioned that John Brown pass. That was actually on the next drive. So the Giants go three and out after the Bills tie it, and Buffalo gets the ball back. And again, it's an 11-play, 70-yard drive, culminates in another touchdown. And earlier in that drive, John Brown's, I don't know, I don't remember who it was. He smoked somebody, man, and Josh Allen overthrew him bad. And I remember sitting there on the couch, clenching my fist. I'm like, oh, you're going to make those throws. You know, I'm getting know. angry. But again, he doesn't get rattled, man. That drive culminated. Singletary had a 14-yard touchdown run. It's like, the kid is composed. I absolutely love that about him right now. It's weird to say that because he is such a gambler and he is cutting back on. He is throwing the ball away a little bit more. We saw that in week two as opposed to week one. 
but he's still at heart a gambler, you know? Yeah. And he's, he, he just, he's not getting rattled. I, I can't emphasize that enough. I could have an entire podcast saying Josh Allen is not getting rattled right now. And I absolutely love that about him more than anything else. So in the first half, they ended up with three touchdown drives, 75 yards, 70 yards, 98 yards. I remember when they started on the own two, I saw several tweets pointing out that the week before against the Jets, that's exactly the part of the field where they ended up getting a safety. Well, guess what? Not mm-hmm. this time. You know what I mean? They go 98 yards and it's 21-7. The game's essentially over. These aren't your Tyrod Taylor or your Kyle Orton quarterback Buffalo Bills anymore. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. just feels different to me. No, you're right. And But I have to say, if you told me that a Josh Allen-led offense was going to lead those long drives down the field methodically, uh, you know, there were some chunk plays in, in some of those drives, but they it wasn't like Josh tossed it up for 60 yarders. Uh, and they yeah, were moving had, the ball that way. He had one pass to Beasley that went for 51 because he, he yep. blew, they blew a coverage and he was wide open. But yeah, besides that, all three drives were just bam, 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 slowly, methodically down the field. As we uh, uh, cover one in our podcast, a big thing we talk about a lot is toxic differentials. So we count up those chunk plays. And for those that don't know, toxic dif- differentials, uh, uh, Brian Billick came up with it. And it's basically turnovers plus like big plays and whoever wins that battle. So the big play is anything over 20 yards. So you count up however many turnovers your team got plus whatever over 20 yard plays you got. And usually if you win that battle, you win the games and we were counting them up. And I thought the Bills would have a lot more of the 20 plus yard plays, but they really didn't. We still won the battle. I think it was six to three uh, against the Giants. But um, you in a game like that with a quarterback like Josh Allen, you expect to see more of those 20 plus yard passes. It just wasn't there. And if you had told me a Josh Allen led team uh, was going to methodically move the ball on the drives that they did, I would have laughed at you a year ago. Some of that was probably due to how bad his offensive line was and his wide receivers were pretty much bottom of the league. Uh, and, and so obviously that helps to have guys that can play football at the NFL level, but uh, it, it's also got a lot to do with his progression and confidence in himself and the offense. He finished 15 to 20 in the first half for 210 yards, a touchdown pass, a touchdown run. More importantly, no turnovers. Got to credit John Worrell from the Associated Press for this stat here that I saw. Allen surpassed 200 yards passing in his seventh consecutive game, which was the longest streak by a Bills quarterback since Jim Kelly in 1992. Wow. You know, yeah, that's probably more of an indictment on the other guys and Brazen Allen because 200 yards isn't really a ton of yards to throw for over the course of a full game. Whatever, though. It's nice to have, man. Like I said, last week, the, the turnovers, and not last week, two weeks ago against the Jets, the turnovers killed them in that first half. And that's where we got a lot of criticism. A lot of it was deserved, by the way. This game, he just played a lot smarter. Get to the third quarter. Is there any point that you were worried because the Bills offense was the complete opposite in the third quarter? They took a nap. I think they had 12 yards in total throughout the entire quarter. The Giants, momentarily, they got back into the game early in the fourth quarter, 21-14. But when they really needed it, again, that Josh Allen-led offense responded. They put a nail in the coffin. They had a 13-play, 75-yard drive. Key play in that drive, I don't know if you remember this, it was third and six, and Josh Allen got forced out of the pocket. And this is where sometimes it does pay to take a chance, I guess, anyway. So he gets on, he's on the run, and he threw a perfect pass to John Brown that went for 17 yards. He doesn't get that. They got a punt. They're only up seven at the time. And uh could have been a completely different game. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm starting to feel more and more like we're starting to see the potential. The people, you know, we talked so many times on this podcast about people who didn't like Josh Allen coming out of college. 
to some extent, you can include me in that for the record. But, yeah, me too. <laughs> but I'm starting to see the people who do like him, the pro Josh Allen guys coming out of college, why he was a top seven pick. You're starting to see that potential coming out because that was a play that I could, off the top of my head, I'll say Patrick Mahomes. I can't think of maybe, I don't know if I could think of another quarterback in the NFL right now who could physically make that play on the run of absolutely perfect dart on the run to, to Brown on a third and six play. That was a huge play, man. Not a lot of quarterbacks can make that play. Yeah, no. And to, to answer the question uh, that you had about, did I feel worried? It, I felt worried for all the third quarter and really half that fourth quarter. Um, the game of football at the NFL level is a lot. Cl- even a team that is perceived to be as bad as the Giants are. Uh, can win that game and and it was really the difference between a few plays you look at that punt return that Sarah Neal saved from being a touchdown that and then I don't even think they scored on that possession Uh, two plays later uh that's that's right that and Trent Murphy picked it off yeah yeah so a huge stop there total big swing for them um, there was a there was a handful of plays like that, though, where I felt, oh, man, we're lucky it went one way. Josh Allen almost fumbling the ball, but they called it dead. They said he had forward progress. But when the replay, I actually think he fumbled. Then we got lucky that the ref said he called it dead when he did because the right. whistle wasn't blown. Yeah. Uh, when he said it was blown, we got away with one there. But, man, that's how the NFL is, man. And, and a couple of plays go the wrong way for you. And it's a totally different game. If the Giants score on either one of those. Man, it's a different game. And then you're really testing Josh Allen there. So I was worried for a good chunk of that game, uh, just like I was pretty much worried the entire Jets game until we took that lead. Um, But yeah, no, to the ability Josh Allen has when he turns it on. Uh, I agree with you. There's few guys that possess the athleticism and the arm strength that he does. And I forget what when in the game it was. There was a throw to Cole Beasley for a first down that got us into the red zone. Uh, it was a, a little bit of an out route, uh, a little hitch by Beasley. And I saw the throw and it was a bullet laser right on the money to Beasley. Uh, and I tweeted it out at the time. I said, gosh, I haven't seen a quarterback make that throw for the Buffalo Bills probably since Drew Bledsoe. Yep. Uh, and that's saying something, man, because I don't know if guys, everybody listening remembers the the throws that Drew Bledsoe can make, but that guy had special arm talent. Uh, Drew Bledsoe, maybe one of the most underrated quarterbacks because of how his career path went after Tom Brady. I don't know that he gets talked about enough. Um but that's pretty special to say that in 20, almost 20 years, I haven't seen quarterbacks make the throws that Josh Allen can make. And now he doesn't always do it consistently. And there's like you said, there's still some bad throws in there and there's stuff he's got to do. And he's the first to tell you that. But the arm talent's there, man. And I think that stat about Jim Kelly, the seven games, uh, 200 yards or something, you're going to start seeing a lot more of that as the season goes on of. Josh Allen's the first quarterback since Jim Kelly or since Drew Bledsoe to do this or that. I think you're going to start to see that. And that's a sign to me that we might got to have the right guy here. Last Allen stat. And again, I got to give credit to John Wuerl for this, which by the way, is kind of ironic. See, I don't, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I almost feel dirty kind of crediting somebody I know. that I'm not a big fan of, but credit where it's due. I'll, I'll say that much. Okay. He does come up with the stuff and he's good at it. Anyway, Josh Allen led the bills to overcoming deficits in consecutive weeks. In the first two games this year, the bills four point deficits. I'm talking about the bills only overcame a four point deficit or more. Four times in all three years of the Tyrod Taylor era. So that's not really a question to you. That's just a pretty telling stat that this team could come back pretty easily with Josh Allen, where when Tyrod was the quarterback, and this is not a Tyrod Taylor bashing portion of the podcast. I'm not bashing him whatsoever. 
It was the makeup of the entire team, the coaching right. staff, the roster around them. So I'm not hating on Tyrod. But my point being is that when the Bills got down a touchdown, especially on the road, it was lights out. That's yeah. just the way it is, man. And it, yeah. But it's not the way it is with this team. They go on the road again. They get punched in the mouth early, but they still end up with touchdown drives that covered 75 yards, 70 yards, 98 yards, and 75 yards. So four touchdown drives. Every one of those drives went at least 70 yards, man. That's what we were talking about in the earlier in the podcast. I'm just starting to get a feel that this team is not going to find a way to lose. Now, again, I don't know that they're going to go and beat New England or Dallas or teams like that right now, but they're going to win games that they're supposed to win. They were supposed to win this game, and they did. And I felt good about it in the second half, which I it's been many years. Even when they went to the playoffs in 2017, I never felt good that they were going to close games out. I'm starting mm-hmm. to feel good about that right now. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it goes back to that conversation about that it feels different and process and culture and all those things everybody hates to talk about. Uh, in the NFL, it's a marathon of a season. I know people are excited now. And I saw I got into it with a couple of people on Twitter today when people saw Big Ben was her and they're looking ahead to week 15. I was like, geez, that's like I'll be baking Christmas cookies and listen to Christmas. Me like, I'm not thinking about that yet. They're like, what are you doing? But when you do look at the season as a whole, there's going to be games you're behind. And if you want to be a playoff team, if you want to be a serious contender, you have to have a team that even if it's a team you shouldn't be behind against, that you have to find a way to get back into it. And that is a confidence thing. It's a uh, trusting in your ability, trusting in your coaches, trusting in the, the schemes that you have. And I think that this team is built for that. Whether or not they can do it all the time, I don't know that that's going to happen. But I at least have the confidence if they're down by two scores that we can get back into this game and make it a football game. And I can't remember, man, not in my adult life. It hasn't happened where I felt a team could come back from two scores and still win a game. And I, I really feel that way about this team that they're probably not out of uh, any of the games that they're going to go into this year. Well, the bills are two and all right now and moving on past Josh Allen. This is not a team with any superstars, at least not right now. There might become some superstars in the future, maybe in the near future, but they're a collection of players right now, and they're 2-0. I want to hit on some other people on this team, some other areas real quick here. I want to give some credit to the interior of the offensive line, by the way. Mm. Morris, Morris and Spain had great blocks on McKenzie's touchdown run, and them along with Feliciano, I thought played great pretty much the entire game. I'm very much looking forward to all 22, not so much so that I could break it down, but so that other people, including Eric, of course, start to break it down. I'm looking forward to seeing their grades and their evaluation and their film work on this interior of the offensive line. Because from what I'm seeing, my naked eye tells me that they played really well, especially Feliciano over the first two games. I thought I think he's been outstanding. Yeah, I said it on our podcast post-game, Feliciano. I was way off on him. I'm, I'm the first guy to admit when I'm wrong. I'm mm-hmm. wrong a lot. And I, all leading up to the season, when we talked about the offensive line and the units that we wanted to see out there, I was pretty adamant that I didn't want Feliciano starting. I didn't think he was an NFL starter, all this stuff. Man, I couldn't be more wrong after two weeks of football. He, He's definitely done a great job. He brings an edge and an attitude to that line that we haven't had since Richie was here playing. And I'm not saying he's Richie. I'm just saying that that type of uh, attitude finishing blocks that nasty uh, play uh, the interior I've been super happy with um, and you see it in the run game like you said on that Singletary touchdown there's been a couple times where you get these guys pulling Morse is a lot more athletic uh, I guess than I realized oh, and yeah, not big time yeah and it's not just athleticism though because you can see 
uh, offensive lineman pull and then they just get run in too fast. And I can't, he's athletic, but still you can see the intelligence in where he gets leverage, where he attacks guys, finds the guy to block. He, it's all processing really easy for him out there and credit to Bobby Johnson. I think, you know, he's kind of that run game coordinator in some of these runs that they're designing that the Josh Allen touchdown, the Devin Singletary touchdown, the guy, I mean, the lanes are wide open and that is a part of the run design itself. And then knowing that your guys can get out there and do that. And I love the interior line, not so much the outside of the line. I'm not loving Cody Ford a lot right now. Deion Dawkins has me really nervous. It feels like we have five interior linemen playing all, all the positions. Cause I, I really think that both the uh, tackles are probably guards uh, and, and would be best at guard. So it works in those when you're pulling guys around and running guys that works in there. Um, but yeah, no, I'm much more happy with the interior of the line right now than I am with the tackles. And I think that could be maybe the Achilles heel of this defense when we start or of this offense, when we start to go up against some really good defenses with some really nice edge uh, pass rush specialists. I agree with you. I don't think Dawkins is moving though. I still no, think I, I still think Cody Ford. I agree with what you're saying though. I I think Dawkins would probably be better suited to play guard than tackle. So I get what you're saying, and I agree with that. Cody Ford, I'm with you there too. I'm not sold on him right now, and it's not that I don't think he's good. He's very young, and I just think he's he better can suited. Be good, for, yeah, yeah, sure. I think he's better suited for guard, and I don't think that's going to change in a, this year or next year or the year after that either. I know in a second got banged up a little bit. And we'll see how that plays out. But I, I just don't feel like Ford is quite ready to play right tackle right now. I think he's going to struggle against these speedy edge rushers as uh, the season wears on. And also, and I know this is an unpopular opinion with listeners because he was protecting Josh Allen after he got thrown down. I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody threw him down from the Giants and then Ford took a penalty after Ford. or Yeah, Ford took a penalty for shoving the Giants guy down. I didn't like that. I got kind of pissed off, man. You're in the lead. You're on the road. Don't take 15 yards. There's other ways. Is that guy going to not do it next time because he's scared you're going to hit him after the whistle if he does? that? No, bullshit, man. Don't yeah. take don't take personal foul penalties like that. I don't want to hear that you're protecting your quarterback. It's just, it's not true because guess what? That guy's going to do it again the next time and the next time and the next time after that. So yeah. those 15 no. yards are big. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And McDermott, I think, said as much today in his press conference of like, you can't have that penalty. We know you love the team and you love the quarterback. You don't need to prove that by getting a penalty. Right. Uh, It's not the best thing. I know fans are going to love it. I agree with you. Uh, I don't love the bring it to the point where you get a penalty. I'm all for sticking up for your teammates and stuff. And, uh, you know, in the instances against the Jacksonville Jaguars where a fight broke out and guys run out to protect your team, I'm all for that stuff and that, that side of the culture. But yeah, no, you got to keep your head in the game because when you you put that on tape, don't think for a second that there's not teams out there that are going to try to get you to commit that penalty again. And that stuff matters and adds up throughout the the year and game. So you got to keep your cool, got to stay composed. And there's ways to show your team that you're you're all for the team and you love your quarterback without hurting your team by pen, getting penalties. Um, Spain, Morse, Liciano, we've talked about them. They've helped this offense. Obviously, Josh Allen grown in year two. But what a difference Cole Beasley and John Brown are making. Beasley has four for 83, Brown seven for 72. Clearly, Josh Allen, Brian Duvall, they have a lot of trust in these guys. Meanwhile, I talked about this last week on the podcast. Guys like Zay Jones and Robert Foster, who were probably the biggest part of the offense, certainly in the passing game last year, they're almost like non-existent right now. 
maybe that'll change in game plans going forward. But right now, this is all about Beasley and John Brown. Thank God the Bills were able to go out and get him. Again, we could, we're not going to talk about it, but God, if, if Antonio Brown came here and all that shit happened and we didn't oh. sign Beasley or Brown, this team would not be where it is right now. No question about that. No, and I think they're perfect fits for everything that we're building. They're not the biggest named receivers for the what they do in the league. Um, I was pretty excited when we signed Beasley. I thought for I saw exactly how he fit in, and I said, you know what, this is going to be a great security blanket for Josh. Josh Allen needs to see guys open, and I don't know that there's a guy right now in the league that creates more separation than Beasley does. Um, he doesn't always get the most yards after catch and things like that, but he's squirmy. He's hard to to keep. Contained. He's and he finds holes in the zone. So he's that guy that Josh is always going to see open. And I knew that John Brown had the speed and I like the idea. OK, Josh Allen can throw the ball farther than anyone can run. Great. We need a speed guy that's going to help. But John Brown's a lot more than a speed guy. His, Eric's got some tweets out there. If you aren't following cover one, make sure you go over, follow cover one. He's got some tweets of John Brown running some routes. The guy knows route concepts. He knows the route tree. He knows his landmarks and where he's supposed to be. And for a guy like Allen, if he is going to throw with anticipation, you've got to have a receiver that knows that stuff. And uh, John Brown is a lot more exciting and more part of this offense than I originally thought he was going to be. And that's a huge, exciting um, revelation, I think, two weeks into the season that I don't know that he's a wide receiver one in the sense of a Julio Jones or some of these big name wide receivers, but he's our wide receiver one. And I don't think it's close. And I think that he's going to present some tough matchups. And as that gets put on film for people, people are going to bring help over and try to bracket coverage him. And that's going to start to open up. You know, you kind of talked about the Zay Jones and Robert Foster's uh, and even the tight end positions as more in that coverage gets pulled over to John Brown as he continues to produce. It's going to open up stuff for other people. And that's going to make this offense, I think, really difficult to stop going forward. And I think those two that you mentioned really have made all the difference in the world outside of the interior line and, and the line, giving Josh Allen some pockets and some time back there. The wide receivers have really allowed Josh to take not only the step that we saw, you know, I talked about earlier that we needed to see him take, but him kind of exceeding our expectations here early in the season. I think it's all to do with John Brown and Cole Beasley. You said that you were wrong about Feliciano. I'm going to admit that I was wrong about Cole Beasley. I was never excited about his signing. I just didn't think, I know he's a good receiver. I just didn't think he'd be a good fitter because I didn't think Josh Allen was the kind of guy who would settle for those short to intermediate routes and have a comfort blanket, so to speak. But yeah, he's been a big addition and I feel like he's helped Allen a lot. What about a tight end right now with Dawson Knox? I I feel like this kid's got a lot of potential. He had a nice 18-yard catch. He had a beautiful, I mean, beautiful block. On Singletary's touchdown. That was awesome. But he also dropped the pass he should have had. And then he committed a stupid personal foul penalty as well. What's your take on him early through two games? The personal foul one's tough because that's a new rule. You're taught in football kind of to do that. So that was the blindside block, right? Like it, it was a little late. I'm sure he's getting reamed out by McDermott. I, I, he doesn't seem like the guy that makes the same mistake twice. Um, he's another guy that is way ahead, way farther ahead than I thought that he would be at this point in his career. And some of that is him getting thrown into the position with Tyler Croft's injury. But coming out of school, I saw the athletic potential. I saw all the stats that showed how athletic he was, but there was no film on the guy. So it was hard for me to make an assessment of this guy and say, man, oh, he's going to come in and be the next great tight end. Uh, I just couldn't see it. And I 
because of that and because he wasn't utilized and barely ran a route tree, I figured, man, this is really a two to three year project for this guy to come into the NFL and produce anything. Um, I think I was wrong on that. I think that he is a guy that you can put in there and at least, like you said, he had the nice block. He's had a few nice blocks. Um, he's got a big frame for a rookie. I don't think he's, you get a lot of these guys in from college and they need a year in the weight room to really fill out into an NFL body. He looks the part of an NFL tight end right out of the gates. Uh, so there's a lot of potential there. I'm excited about him, but I'd be lying if I wasn't. Uh, excited to get Tyler Croft back as a tight end one and allow him to take a little bit of a step back and be more used uh, in situational football where we're trying to get more of a speedy athletic guy open uh, and allow him to get the ball there versus relying on him to be the tight end option for Josh Allen. I'd like a little bit more of a consistent tight end option. I think Tyler Croft will be that uh, when he comes back and maybe that's this week or the next couple of weeks here. Um, So I'm excited to see that come back, but I'm much more excited about the depth of the tight end position than I was, you know, this preseason and right after the draft, because I just wasn't sure what to expect out of those guys. And we saw a great preseason from Tommy Sweeney. Haven't seen a ton. We saw the one catch week one, um, but haven't really seen a ton of him popping up this season, but I'm excited moving forward about the depth of that position. Cause Josh Allen's going to need, you know, every great quarterback relies on that tight end position. It's a, a really important position, especially in Brian Dable's offense. So a, a lot of positivity, I think, at that position moving forward, and I think it's only going to increase when Tyler Croft returns. We speak of potential. What do you think is going on right now with Devin Singletary? Hopefully, the hamstring isn't serious. As of today, we're taping this Monday night, Monday afternoon. Sean McGurn at his press conference said he's day for day for now, and the team is still, and he used the term, still gathering information. Sounds a little bit worrisome to me. I've talked to a couple of players on the team, and They really don't know anything right now either. So hopefully it's not serious. But regardless, let's put the hamstring aside here for a second. Mm -hmm. Before he came out with the hamstring, he had 57 yards on just four or six carries. I'm sorry. Six carries, yeah. Six carries, 57 yards. Only had four carries the first game. Guy looks like a game changer almost every time he touches the football out there. Why do you think the kitty gloves are being put on him like this early in the season? Well, there's a lot more to being a running back than just running the football. You you have to be good in pass protection. I know that he was better than expected in the preseason in pass protection, but there's a difference in doing that at the NFL level in the regular season. So that might be some of the hesitancy because you can't just run him all the time. You have to be able to pass with him. And so there might be some of that. Frank Gore still does his job of grinding yards uh, and that's hard to take out consistency for a guy. Yes, he's putting on good film and yes, when he is getting his touches, he's making, you know, he's producing uh, off of his touches, but it's hard for coaches to take a guy that's done it in the league for a long time consistently and still continues that he, he proving that he can do it to, to take carries away from him. But I think you're going to start to see it ramp up. The NFL season's a marathon. I think that they're taking a smart approach with him by ramping him up into carries. I'd like to see this week uh, if he's healthy and, and a full go. I said it on our podcast. I'd like to see him go. You know, he went from four to six. I'd like him go from maybe from six to ten and kind of hover in that somewhere between ten to fifteen carries a game. If he's hovering around there for the rest of the season, I'm actually pretty happy with that because that's a lot more than I thought that he was going to get when we picked him uh, in this draft. I was actually pretty upset about the pick at the time. Um, I liked the highlights, but I was like, I don't know if this is the guy to pick, you know, to be the future of the running back room. Um, 
but I think, yeah, somewhere in that 10 to 15 carries, I think is probably a sweet spot for him now moving forward. I like the potential, um, but there's no need to do what the Giants are doing with Saquon Barkley and just wear him out in his first year. I think you bring him in slowly, you teach him the ins and outs of the game, let him watch Frank or talk to Frank or on the sidelines, see what each other are seeing. Um, but right now, I think they're using them in spots that work for him. Um, and Bobby Johnson's drawn up some really nice run plays that's getting him out in space and allowing him really to just run free. He's not having to do a whole lot when he's running a lot of his run plays he's just patient and finding holes and then he, he does you know the little jukey shifty stuff to get some extra yards and it is working great a lot of things to be excited about for bills fans but as excited as i am i do you know want bills fans to hesitate to say hey he's a 20 uh touch per game guy ease him and there's no rush to get him to be a 20 carry a game guy let frank gore still carry the load uh but ease uh, Singletary into this, that 10 to 15 touch kind of guy. You know, one thing about Frank Gore real quick, and this is kind of funny last week, Tone Bucks and I talked about this tone, brought it up in the history of following the Buffalo bills is going back as far as you can remember, or any team that you have ever liked in your life, going back to being a little kid. Have you ever remembered a running back where you're up by two scores in the fourth quarter? You have the ball, you're trying to run the clock out. And the only thing that could get the other team back in the game is a turnover, is a fumble. Have you ever felt more confident in anybody to not fumble than Frank Gore in the fourth quarter running the ball out? Like when he's getting the football and we got a lead, I'm not even thinking about the running back putting the ball on the ground. No, and I and I feel like he can just bust out four-yard runs for the last two and a half minutes yeah, of the football game. Like he's a, he ain't fumbling, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, and he's a, he's a bull, man. Yeah. He's a grown man, and you're not taking the ball from him. That's his baby, and he's not giving it up. And yes, we've gotten him in the twilight. He's not the same running back he was few years ago even um but just that level of consistency you know we talk about it a lot uh, in the premium slack channel when there's a fine balance that gms and coaches have to do of managing potential and what a guy can be versus where guys are today and what they are and what they've proven to be and i think that you're seeing that a little bit uh that fine balance uh with frank or and devin singletary of singletary's obviously got a, a high ceiling right now and that he's trending he's an ascending player in the league and Gore's obviously on the downswing of his career but to get a coach to take Gore out knowing what a consistent player is and he's always going to be in his right spot he's always going to do his job you're going to have very few coaches that want to take him off the field in those situations we haven't really talked about the defense and we're not really going to because we could what are you going to say we could talk about them forever exactly (laughs) what is there to say man I discussed this last week I'm sure you did and we could discuss this every week you know, there's this is the thing I love about this defense the most. There's not, again, not one, like, quote-unquote superstar on this defense, at least not yet anyway, but there's just a bunch of dudes who are really, really good at doing their job, particularly our safeties, by the way, Hyde and Poyer. I absolutely yeah. love them. I think they might be the best safety tandem in the NFL. Maybe one of them on their own isn't the best safety in the NFL, but you put them two together, I like them against anyone else. These guys just have a nose for the football. They're physical. Hyde made a very, it was a clean hit. Knocked the ball out down the sideline. Poyer, I mean, the guy caught the ball and he got a concussion afterwards. I'm sure Jordan Poyer wasn't trying to hurt him, but it was a tough physical hit. He had an interception at the end of the game. These guys just make plays back there in the safety spot. And again, I'm not just talking about safeties here. It's the entire defense. They're just consistently good. 
and when you said that we don't have superstars on that side of the ball, I agree nationally. We don't, but if this team was in a bigger market, say Chicago or New York or wherever, uh, Jordan Porter and Micah Hyde would be superstars in this league. I, the only reason we don't have superstars is because we're up here in Buffalo and nobody Fair pays point. attention to the Fair Buffalo point. Bills. I do think that they are at the quality play to to be considered at that level. And I think Tremaine Edmonds will be there soon. Um, I, I love the progress that he's made. And <laughs> watching that guy running around is just really, I think Bills fans need to take a step back and realize how special this could potentially be. I mean, we're talking about a guy that could have a really special career and define what it means to be a modern NFL linebacker. Um, but yeah, no, they just play well as a unit. Um, they really tighten up when they have to. I, I don't think there's a lot of offenses. I mean, outside of, I think the new England Patriots are probably going to be record setting offense this year. And I'm not sure how we're going to defend that. We'll deal with that next week, but I don't see a lot of offenses that are just going to really dictate the game to our defense. I think, there's maybe some teams that are going to put up a good amount of yards, but I think as they drive down the field, this defense starts to get tighter and tighter on their grip. Uh, and it's going to be hard to score points on them. And I know people laughed at Sean McDermott when he said something uh, last year in the offseason about having to score 21 points. And he wasn't saying we only have to score 21 points a game. But I think the point is, I think we feel pretty confident in this defense that they're not going to give up a lot of 30, 30 plus points a game. And that if your offense is playing a little bit better than it was a year ago is a good recipe to, to start stacking some wins together in, in this league. And yeah, there isn't a lot to talk about individually about the defense. They're playing about uh, what you expected, if not a little bit better. And I, I do at the end of the year, expect this to be a top five defense, which is crazy to do that two to three years consistently. It's very hard in the NFL to put together a top five defense with any type of consistency, just the way players move, coaching staffs move, things like that. And they're doing it. And I think it's going to be at the end of the year, if they are a top five defense, I think it'll be a travesty if uh, Leslie Frazier isn't sought after as a head coach around the NFL. I know that he's not a hot name or anything like that. I love if he continued to not be a hot name and we were able to just keep him here. Uh, but if you put together a defense like that, you at least have to be in consideration. I'll tell you, the funny thing is, and I'm not saying any of these guys will end up in the pro bowl, but there's six guys on the bills defense where if, at the rate they're going, if they continue to play well, at the end of the year, you can make a case that the Bills have six Pro Bowl quality defensive players right now. You got Hyde, you got Poyer, you got Trey White, although he wasn't great on Sunday, but he's still one of the better corners in the NFL. You got Jerry Hughes, you got Tremaine Edmonds, and you got Matt Milano. Those are six guys that had the potential to play at a Pro Bowl level. And again, maybe one or two of them make it, maybe four or five, maybe none of them do, but they got six Pro Bowl quality players just on that defense alone. I want to wrap up yeah. Bill's stuff here with game awards. I like to do this after every game. Well, we'll can do- I can I give you one more on the Go defense that, yeah, that I'm really I, I hate to interrupt you, but I'm super excited because it's a guy that I've been down on for a couple of years. We've talked about him a lot on the cover one podcast, and I just never got what I wanted out of him. I'm very, very excited. And, and I think his stock is trending up and he'll never live up to his draft pick. But Shaq Lawson, I yes. love the way Shaq Lawson's playing football this year. Last year, he was great in the run game. He's almost, you know, Eric talks about it. He's almost unblockable in the run game. But his effort in the past game, he doesn't have the best moves in the world, but he is winning with effort. And having him as a rotational defender on a defense, 
line that's already pretty good and a defense that's good is a huge advantage for the Bills. And I hope if he continues over the next two, three weeks here, I hope Brandon Bean picks up the phone and calls his agent and starts the conversations about an extension because I'd be willing to give him that Trent Murphy type contract to keep him here uh, and make that so we keep this core of defensive ends together for a while because I like this rotation and I think Shaq is a big plus to what this defense is doing right now. Yeah, he's starting to play himself into a nice payday, whether it's Buffalo or somewhere else in the offseason. All right, so let's get to game awards, okay? We'll do MVP, LVP. Who's your game MVP? I got to give it to, I want to give it to Josh Allen, but that's the easy, easy route to go. I'm going to go with Devin Singletary just because when you mentioned when I uh, was down, you know, when, when were you feeling down about this game or concerned? Singletary is what got the offense sparked again and was able to get the ball moving when the offense was kind of struggling. And that's two weeks in a row where the offense was struggling and getting him involved in the game sparked something in the offense and got him going. So he gets my MVP award. All right, I'm going to go the easy route. I'm going to take Josh Allen. I like your point. It's, on it's a good call, though, man. That's a good call. All right, what about LVP? That's tough. And by the way, when you win by two touchdowns on the road, coming up with an LVP is not always easy. We talked about this on our post game show too. Of like, you know, I don't want people to attack me on Twitter or that you're being too negative on people, but you have to pick stuff and it doesn't mean that they played terribly just you have to pick something to, to talk negative about sure. or the key on twitter for being a homer so i my lvp right now goes to cody ford um i didn't like the way he he was blocking and yeah, he got beat a couple times that third quarter josh allen saw a lot of pressures i thought that came a lot from both dawkins and ford uh i would have picked dawkins probably just because he's a team captain and he's supposed to be your legit left tackle at this point but ford had that stupid penalty so it tipped the scales for me and i'm picking ford as my lvp uh, i'm half there with you i got ford i got both of them i got dawkins and ford as co-lvps uh by the way, on top of everything you said, you can add that to Dawkins, too. They also, between the two of them, had three pre-snap false start penalties, too. That bothers me a lot. A lot of people were down on Trey White and Levi Wallace. Listen, they didn't get beat for any big plays. I know Trey White didn't play great. A lot of passes were completed towards him, but they were in front of him. No, no one got behind him. He didn't have a great game by any means. Not an all-pro no. kind of game, but he was all right. He, it's a little bit overblown. I, I don't love the Trey White hate that I saw. I think if you go back and watch uh, when the All-22 comes out, he did his job. He kept guys in front of him. His yards after catch, I think, was four. He gave up like maybe four to six yards after catch. So good quarterback. Like you're going to give up passes in this league. I, I think at one point they were playing uh, some shell defense stuff. So it, you're going to give up some of that stuff. He slipped on one of them. Like they He's a good cornerback. His hand was on a lot of those balls that, you know, it goes the other way sometimes. Sometimes you lose it. Um, yeah, he wasn't playing shut down. Nobody was throwing his way cornerback. Um, but I, I think it was a little bit overstated how bad of a game he had. I, I think he played totally fine. I have no concerns about Trey White. I agree 100%. What about unsung hero? Now you spoke on Shaq Lawson. and that could easily be your choice right there. Sarah Neal. Okay. I I love what he brings to the special teams. Uh, he, uh, Eric put out a good video on that one, that, that punt that was almost returned for a touchdown. Siren actually got worked by the blockers on that play. He was getting beat up, but he never gave up on that play. And he ends up making a really hard tackle. The angle that he took and the tackle that he made when a guy, 
you know, your punt returners are your fastest, most athletic guys typically on your team. And to get that guy, track him down in open field and not let him beat you. Um, that was a game changing play. As we talked about, that ended up being an interception and they didn't score on that play. If Sarah Neal doesn't make that tackle, who knows? And then he he's done a lot more on the defense than I expected from him. When they drafted him, I just thought he was going to be your uh, Matthew Slater type. This guy's going to be a top gunner in the league and hold down that last roster spot as a special teams ace for the rest of his career. But he's actually getting a lot of burn, especially with Taron Johnson out, getting a lot of burn on the defensive side of the ball. And they've really moved him away from safety and moved him into that slot corner. And with his size uh, and athleticism and uh, the more that he learns this game, he came from Jacksonville State. So he's got a lot to learn about the NFL game. And the more he learns with that potential size and athleticism, I, I think the sky's the limit for what he can be uh, long term. But if, for me, he was an unsung hero because he did a lot. I think when the all 22 comes out, you'll see that between him and Marlowe, there was probably a lot of bracket coverage on Evan Ingram, who came off a big game week one. They really limited him. What six catches for 50 yards, 48 yards or something like that. So he was a big part of uh, limiting one of the best weapons of that team. And he's a special teams contributor. So he was my unsung here. I'm very excited about Sarah Neal. And he might continue to get burned because unfortunately I'm starting to really worry about how healthy Teron Johnson could stay just the way the yeah. style, the way he plays football. For me, I'm going to go Harrison Phillips. He had three tackles, yeah. two pass knockdowns and a half sack. And he, by the way, he played 28 snaps, which is exactly the same as star Lodelay. So he's starting to get more burn on that defensive line. And I wasn't very high on him during preseason or even maybe even week one, but I he stood out to me on Sunday. I thought he played a really good game. Speaking of one last thing here, play of the game. If you had to come up with one pivotal play of the game, what would it be for you? I'll go first here on this one. For me, I talked about it earlier. I thought it was Josh Allen rolling out to the right and hitting Brown on that third and six. Because again, they're at the Giants 40 right now, okay? He hits for 17 yards. This is when the Bills got the ball after the Giants had cut the score down to a touchdown. If he doesn't make that throw, the Bills punt, and who the hell knows? You know, in the very next play, after Allen hits Brown for 17, Singletary runs for 20 yards inside the three. The Bills eventually score, scores a touchdown, and they go up, and the game's essentially over because they're up 14. So for me, that's the one play. Do you have one play that kind of stands out for you? Shoot, I think you took the one that I would pick. Uh, I, I think that that play showed really everything that separates Josh Allen from a lot of the quarterbacks and why I can see... You know, when I didn't like Josh Allen as a prospect and I, I was upset when they picked him, but you, I can see why Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott fell in love with a guy that has the abilities that he has when you see a play like that unfold. That was a big time uh, NFL. You know, Jerry Hughes talked about him becoming a real uh, NFL quarterback quickly. And I feel like that play was one of those ones that we'll look back at kind of a defining moment of him trending in a different direction than what everybody said he would become. Um, that play was a big time play that put his team in a position to win a football game. And so, yeah, I agree with you totally. Up next, we've got Cincinnati at home. They're owing two. They showed promise the first week. I believe they lost at Seattle. They almost won that game. But then this past Sunday, they got hammered at home by San Francisco. So, it's very realistic here. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but there's a good chance we'd be looking at Buffalo being 3-0 and New England being 3-0 because I'm sure they're going to beat the Jets next week. Week 4 clash, New Era Field, two 3-0 teams playing against each other. New Era Field will be like next level lit, to use a, a young person term right there. That could happen, man. We could be seeing two 3-0 teams facing off in Week 4. 
Oh, I, I'm going to the Patriots game, so I would be loving uh, that because the weather should be probably good still this time of year up here. That would just be perfect, perfect football to get that type of blessing. But I'm not ready to uh, get that excited about it yet. I do actually think Cincinnati, I, I've been kind of watching the condensed versions of their games and starting to ramp up for our show on Wednesday, talking about them. We're going to have uh, Joe Goodberry on. I think a lot of fans know who he is. Uh, we're going to have him on to talk about Uh, The Bengals this year, and I think last week the game got away from them a little bit, but the first half, man, they they actually did some nice things. They were playing some good football. Penalties kind of got out of control for them, but there's some guys on that team. I think it's probably similar to the Giants in that they're not a great football team, but they have enough weapons to beat you if they're healthy. And right now they're pretty healthy outside of AJ green. And obviously they have the injuries along the offensive line, but there's plenty of weapons on that team uh, where if we make the mistakes and allow a punt return or, or, you know, Josh Allen turns the ball over a couple times that this team could come out and really ruin a home opener for us. So I know fans are excited right now. I'm not willing to get there yet, but boy, would that be sweet to go head to head for uh, first place in the AFC East with the Patriots at home. Uh, yeah, the Ralph would be totally insane. And I'm signing up for that because I'll be there with everybody going totally insane. One more Bills question here and then we'll wrap up. How much respect do you think this team's going to get this week in the power rankings that you see on ESPN and all that? And let me preface it by saying, because I know people are going to complain about it. They don't give a shit. I don't give a shit either, okay? Yeah, but I'm still going to ask the question. If right now there's nine teams in the NFL that are 2-0, and the Buffalo Bills are one of them. If you were going to make power rankings right now, there's 32 teams. Where do you think this team should be slotted right now? Again, prefacing this by saying me and Aaron both know that power rankings mean nothing. So on that note, where would you put them? Yeah. So if it was my Aaron Quinn's power rankings, I'd put, um, I don't know, eighth, maybe right around there uh, in the league. I think when the real power rankings come out from your ESPNs and your Yahoo's and stuff like that, they won't put them with the other undefeated teams. I think that there will be a couple one in one teams that they still put ahead of the bills. And I know, I know fans will hate that and it's just the market we're in and the historical, you know, that when these guys make these articles, there's some historical precedence that's in their mind and they think, Oh, it's the same old bills. We're not going to put them in eighth. We're not going to put them in the top 10. They're 15th, 14th rated team. So I think you'll find them right there in the middle of the pack. Um, but I would put them right there in the, in the top 10. I don't know that, you know, because they didn't really beat the jets in the way that you'd hope that you come out and beat a team like that. I I don't know that they're at the top half of the undefeated teams, but I I think they should be in the top 10. I agree with you. I think they will be right around 16, 17. I think all eight undefeated teams will be power ranked out of them. And I think you'll find seven or eight teams that are one in one. Anyway, again, who gives a shit? I was just yeah, I don't care. I was curious yeah, as no, to where you would. It's write a fun them. exercise, though. It's it's fun to sure. talk about that kind of thing. Let's finish with a little NFL rapid fire thing. I'm going to fly through a couple topics and we'll get through them real quick. Just give me a quick take if you even have one on a couple things here with the NFL. So let's start Pittsburgh. Okay, Big Ben's done uh, injury to his elbow. He's out for the year. They're already zero two. No Big Ben. It's time to write off the Steelers after two games. 
It's tough, man. I like Mason Rudolph. I liked him in the draft, but Steelers, man, I don't know how they're going to be able to hold this together. There's just they've lost so many pieces since that 2017 team. Um, I know people said they could easily replace Le'Veon Bell with uh, Connor, and I like Connor as a running back, but he's just not a Le'Veon Bell. They just don't have dynamic weapons. Um, their defense isn't what it used to be. It's going to be tough for them to dig out of that hole uh, that they're in. And I start to wonder if Tomlin becomes a guy that's on the hot seat if it, the wheels really fall off. Uh, without Big Ben, you could be seeing uh, a guy that's been there for a long time uh, and Pittsburgh's kind of the um, steady franchise, really one of the more steady outside of New England. And it'd be interesting to see if he comes on the hot seat because of all this. I think this is the year where everything falls apart for Pittsburgh. I think they're done. I think they're a six and 10 team. In fact, I wouldn't even be shocked without Big Ben if they go five and 11. What about Tennessee? They're like in a big time conundrum to me. Okay. They go to Cleveland, they destroy Cleveland on the road, then they come home and they lose at home to Tennessee. What do you make of them? Well, they didn't lose to Tennessee. Who'd they lose to? They lost to Indianapolis, my fault. Indian, yeah, yeah. Indy, Indy still did. Well, they beat themselves, so they did lose to Tennessee, but actually they lost to Indy. Indy's still a good team. So it's hard this time of year, right? Because uh, I don't think you can take anything out of week one. I know everybody was saying, oh, Cleveland was so overhyped. They're no good. I don't know that you can take anything out of a week one performance. It's always a weird week in the league. Crazy things happen. So I don't know if you take a lot out of that. Um, Indy's still a tough team, even without you know losing Andrew Luck. I think Brissett's good enough to win football games in the NFL. And that team that they had built around Andrew Luck was a really good football team. So I think that they're still a good enough team to to win games and you're talking about a division game uh and as we know as bills fans man it doesn't matter how good or bad the other team is lining up in division games anything can happen uh, in those division games so yeah i think you're right in calling them a conundrum i think that's a perfect description of tennessee because i just don't know what to make of them but i i think that they are going to be a team like the bills have been through pretty much the entire drought where they're in the hunt at the end of the year and maybe just not good enough to close it out where they beat themselves maybe in too many games and just kind of are on the outside looking in but the way the afc shaking up with injuries and and things happening you know a team like that might be able to sneak it in this year what about carolina they lose at home last week to tampa they're already owing to this year with both losses at home, you think Carolina's shot? And maybe more importantly, is Scam Noonan washed? And I did say scam. That was not a mispronunciation. I said it on purpose. <laughs> Carolina, are they done too? Are they like Pittsburgh in the in the NFC? Gosh, you know, they started so well last year that I thought that I, I didn't think it was going to be a good team that I thought, wow, maybe they're a pretty good team, but they finished so poorly and the wheels came off that I'm surprised we didn't see a lot more changes in Carolina. I don't know if they just got stuck with, hey, Ron Rivera's our guy and Cam Newton's our guy and we're just going to ride this, uh, you know, try to make it work for another year. But uh, again, not to overreact two weeks, but I do not feel good about the Carolina Panthers. Uh, they're in a pretty tough spot. I mean, obviously things have opened up in that division with the news of Drew Brees that maybe you can get a bad team that comes out of that division because nobody's really, you know, if the Saints aren't going to be uh, Super Bowl contenders, I don't know anybody in that division's really a contender. Uh, so I guess that's going for them. But yeah, man, they're not an ascending team. And I think it's time for them to start thinking about what are we going to do in the post Ron Rivera, Cam Newton era here in Carolina? Because it's, it's got to change soon. Jacksonville owing two, and today it came out Jalen Ramsey's requested a trade. What do you make of them? By the way, man, this dude, I'm sorry, all right? He calls out Tyreek Hill last year, called him a glorified kick returner, and then he got smoked by him. Called out Josh Allen, called him trash. They lost. Fighting with his coach. 
he's a good player, very good player. He ain't worth that all that though. I don't know, man. There's just something about him. I don't think he's quite that good. But anyway, Jacksonville again, only two games in. I know I could I get the sense that I'm an overreactor. Aaron Quinn's not an overreactor, so you don't like to write a team off after two games. But I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna write Jacksonville off for you. Owing to Nick Foles is out. Are they done already? I think so. I I do hate to write teams off uh, to the Jalen Ramsey point. I don't know that there's a player in the NFL that I can't stand more than Jalen Ramsey. And that's saying something because the Patriots have 53 players and you'd think that I would hate every one of those guys more, but he's right up there with Julian Edelman for me guys that I just can't stand everything about them. Um, and I saw on Twitter, people were saying when they, that he was available for trade of bringing him into the bills and Oh my God, it made me want to vomit. I can't stand the guy. I just don't like the way he carries himself. Uh, but I, that kind of feels like the whole Jacksonville team since Doug Marone's been there. They just have brought in personalities that are just kind of abrasive guys, guys that just don't seem to fit. And they they just figured, I think you throw enough money at a team and it'll be a good team. And I, they just aren't good right now. Um, and probably some of that's got to do with Nick Foles getting hurt early. I, I liked that addition to their team, actually. I wanted to see what Nick Foles could do uh, with all the big names that they brought in there throughout the years. Um, but I think the problem for Jacksonville is uh, team facing adversity led by Doug Marone is bound to fail. I I have no respect for Doug Marone as a coach. I have no respect for him being able to face adversity in this league and lead a group of men uh, to fight through that adversity and become a winning organization. I just don't see it. I think he's going to be on the hot seat here in the next couple of weeks. Um, I don't think he deserved the head coaching job there. And Coughlin just saw him as a puppet that he could use and and do what he wanted there. And I I think that Jacksonville is going to have to make a coaching change here at the end of the year and really kind of blow up what they built uh, because there's no way they can sustain that cap and all these personalities on that team tim graham agrees with you wholly on the doug marone assessment i can promise you i met doug marone twice in public i was at a uh, chamber of commerce uh happy hour um somewhere on main street in buffalo and doug marone walks in and there's a bunch of us that were season ticket holders and he walks by us and we all kind of like hey coach and he gave us the most douchey reaction of just, you know, you'd think he's walking into a bar and a bunch of fans. We weren't up in his face or like, hey, can I get a picture? And we're just like, hey, coach, early in the season. And that guy could he it looked like if he could have, he would have pissed on us in the moment. And from that moment on, I was just like, you know what? Screw this guy. He's not the guy uh, to lead men. <laughs> the Miami Dolphins are clearly tanking. And if I needed to be reminded of that, look no further I had to play against the New England Patriots defense in fantasy this weekend. And because of Miami's shitty-ass offense, the Patriots dropped 37 points on defense on me on fantasy football. Absolutely unheard of. But anyway, last thing here, and then I'm going to let you go. What, if anything at all, has really caught you most by surprise in the NFL over these first two weeks? That's right. I think how quickly the, the tank of the Dolphins has come to fruition is pretty crazy. But I think the biggest surprise, and I hate to even give it any talk or playtime or anything like that, is the Antonio Brown saga. Uh, the, that he went to the Raiders, forced his way out, and is now on the New England Patriots because, of course, 
He is. Uh, I hate everything about it. It's he's right up there with Jalen Ramsey as my most hated people in the entire league. Um, I hate everything about it, but it's by far the most shocking. I think how it's all transpired and where we are today as to where we were when the season started. Uh, just a whirlwind of stuff. So as far as surprises go, that's that's probably it for me. And then actual football surprises. I think one of the sneakiest things is how good the Packers defense is. Yeah. Um, I love Mike Pettin. He was one of my favorite coordinators over the last whatever many years uh, of Buffalo Bills football. I loved him. I thought him leaving for Cleveland was a huge mistake, but I understood you got to take head coaching jobs when they come up. There's only 32 of them. He had an opportunity, but I think he's an underrated defensive coordinator. I love what he is doing over there in Green Bay. And gosh, man, if, if the offense can figure it out and you give Aaron Rodgers a good defense, it's really something he hasn't had since they made that Super Bowl run when they still had Charles Woodson. So you give him a good defense, man, and that could be a dangerous team again. I agree with you. For me, I, I got two. I think the NFC South is a lot wacker than I thought it was going to be. Atlanta's yeah. one and one, but they should they could easily be 0-2 right now. Saints are in huge trouble without Drew Brees for at least six weeks. Tampa Bay's just not very good, and I talked about them earlier. I think Carolina's at 0-2, two home losses, and I kind of feel like they're they're dog shit. I'm I think they're done. But for me, and conversely on on the opposite end, you talked about Green Bay. When we did season predictions, I figured that Baltimore would have been third in the AFC North. In fact, that's why I projected them. But I'm starting to get a sense. Every year, a team kind of rises and becomes really good fast. And I'm starting to get a sense that Baltimore might be the team that year. This year, I should say. Lamar Jackson, man, he's off to a really good start. I don't think he's going to run for 100 yards every week and throw for 250 without getting intercepted three times. But I think that team's for real, man. I think they're going to be very good. And the Bills play them this year. I think that might end up being a very big game for Buffalo. I So a couple things. Well, well, let me start with the Saints comment they made because I am maybe the biggest Teddy Bridgewater fan, and I'm hoping that he lights the world on fire and gets a starting job somewhere in the NFL because I love his story. I can't believe he's even playing football right. again, and I would love to see him. I love those stories, and I want him to succeed so bad. I don't know that he will, but I'm really paying attention, uh, and I'll be tuning in to watch Teddy Bridgewater play football because I didn't think we'd ever see it again. Mm-hmm. Um, to the Ravens, one thing that I agree with you, I think they're trending in the right direction. I am rooting for Lamar Jackson. I like him. I liked him in the draft process. I hate that people wanted to make him something that he's not and the running back thing, uh, wide receiver thing. But the thing I hate about this is you. this is a great example of how you can kind of poke holes at what the media does and where, where their narratives lie because people are crowning Lamar Jackson. And Nate uh, Burleson was on Good Morning Football today, and when they were talking about the Ravens, he said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something about – he you can see Lamar Jackson's turned into a real pocket passer. He's not running outside of the pocket and making plays like Josh Allen does. He's staying in the pocket. And I was like, well, that shows to me one that you're not watching Josh Allen because he's making plays from in the pocket. Yeah, the play we talked about the most was out of the pocket and on the move. But if you watch his tape, he's making plays in the pocket. So don't beat that narrative. And let's also remind ourselves that Lamar Jackson's played against the Miami Dolphins and the Arizona Cardinals, which at the end of the year are probably going to be two of the worst defenses in the NFL. They're just yeah. not good defenses and a great way for him to start. And he lived up to it and he put up the numbers that you should put up against teams like that. So kudos to him. He didn't fall apart. He played a good game and he is progressing and doing so. I'm not taking anything away from Laura Jackson, but 
I want to see the Ravens go up against one of their division opponents and put it to them the way they put it to these other teams before I crown them. But I think the division's wide open for them to take it this year. And I do think that's going to be a tough game uh, in December when we do. I think it's in December when we play the Ravens. So you and Greg got Joe Goodbury from The Athletic on the podcast this week? Yeah, he's coming on to uh, do the we do every Wednesday. We do a breakdown of the opposing team and we just kind of talk about strengths, weaknesses, get a general grasp because, you know, I mean, it's hard enough for us as hobbyists to just cover the bills and the detail that we do. So we don't get really a chance to cover all the teams. And this time of year, it's really easy uh, to watch the two or three games other teams have played late in the year, man, when we're playing teams that were in week 13 and I got to go back and watch 13 games of teams to play. That's when it gets difficult so it's really nice to bring in other guys especially a guy from the athletic and thanks to our connections of eric uh, working in the athletic he was able to get joe on the show Uh, we've had some great guests though we always find somebody good that covers their team full time to come on and just kind of tell us their view and then it's also nice to get uh sort of an objective other view of where the bills are at um and they give us their honest opinion on that so it's really you know we talk about how hard it is to make content that for me is a really fun show because we get to talk with people from other teams and get, get a real honest view of their team, but then kind of a self-reflection view of where people see us. That's cool, man, because Joe's a very solid reporter. So I'm looking forward, Super good, yeah. looking forward to tuning in and listening to that. All right, everyone, give Aaron a follow on Twitter at Aaron Quinn 716. Of course, check out cover one. Thanks for doing this, bro. We went for quite a while, but you know what, man? It's easy to talk bills when they're good. If, yeah, they were, man, and if they sucked, I'd be flying through these. I wouldn't want to hear it, but I want to keep going because it's fun to talk about a team when they're playing well. Absolutely. And you know what, man, like kudos to you and not to just sound like I'm sucking up to you here, but we talked about it before the show. You're a great conversationalist. I enjoy coming onto the show and no matter if we're talking bills or wrestling or whatever topics we get into, I really enjoy just having these conversations with you, but you're right. When the bills are winning, man, I could do this all night talking about them. Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out MattCundellVoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thank you again to my buddy Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Love Cover One. And I love getting together with Aaron, talking football on this podcast. Always a good time. So thank you, Aaron. Before I get up out of here, I want to ask you that if you enjoy listening to this podcast, that you please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, you'll get new episodes before anyone else does. If you have an iPhone like most people do, all you got to do is open up that iPhone. There's a purple app. It says podcast. Hit your thumb on that. Type in Moranalytics Podcast in the search box. Hit the subscribe button. Bam, literally. That's it. That's all you got to do. If you don't have an Apple phone, you can also find us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Got new episodes every Tuesday and every Friday. Also, don't forget, please take a second, rate and review the podcast. Say it every week. Really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. And then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamarin Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, 
upcoming guests, podcast polls, all kinds of other stuff. So again, that's at Pamaran Tweets. Thank you again very much for listening. I say it every episode and I truly mean it. I really appreciate each and every single one of you that take time from your day to give me a listen, no matter where you are. It means the world to me. I'm very thankful. So thanks again. Have a good week. Talk to you again on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.